Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves. Tonight's topic is a live discussion and conversation about the dogmanship program, the section on breeding. Covered in this conversation is if and when to breed your dog. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trupanion loves helping pets get the care they need. That's why they're excited to announce that they've officially paid out over two billion, that's with a B, billion dollars in veterinary claims. That's two billion reasons for more tail wags and treats. That's 730,000 pets that got the care they needed. Trepanion would like to thank all of the owners and breeders who've trusted them over the last 22 years. If you're part of the Trupanion Breeder Support Program, don't forget to register your upcoming litters for their go-home day offers. That way you can send them home protected by Trupanion's world-class coverage. If you're not part of the program yet, what, what, what? it's completely free to join and lets you send your litters home with an offer for a full Trupanion insurance policy that waives the waiting periods. To learn more and to sign up, just visit my partner page at puredogtalk.com. All right, so here we go. Breeding dogs is, as we all know, something of, to put it mildly, a passion project. And doing it well and better than average is something we all strive for. And there's some tools that we can use to accomplish that goal. No matter what type of breeding program we have, we can all use these same tools to achieve success. So number one, reading pedigrees, sort of the theory side of breeding, reading pedigrees, breeding concepts, and health testing. And that's the first thing that we're going to talk about. And you guys go ahead, keep dropping the questions in. I'm going to toggle back and forth between this presentation and the chat. All right. Reading pedigrees, talking about how to look at the pedigree programs, talking about the coefficient of inbreeding. One of the nice things about many of the programs is that they use a color coding to highlight dogs that appear more than once in the pedigree. And many of these programs will also offer you a pedigree COI. So the coefficient of inbreeding is frequently shortened to COI. One of the great things is if you test both the sire and the dam of your litter, you will be able to get a predicted genetic COI based on the actual DNA. And then if you DNA test each of the puppies in your litter, you will be able to get an exact genetic DNA coefficient of inbreeding that will tell you exactly. And I think one of the things that many of us find sort of mind blown, right? Puppies in a litter do not all have the same COI. They don't all have the same genetics. And so when I did a half brother, half sister, a straight up inbreeding, 
that I've been planning for quite some time. And I knew what the pedigree COI was. I knew what the estimated or expected genetic COI was going to be. And I embarked each of the <clears throat> 13 puppies <laughs> and the actual COI in each of those puppies varied by as much as 10 basis points. So it's really, really important to look at some of the tools that are now available to us. And dog breeding has always been a little bit of art and a little bit of science. Science is coming to the forefront and I don't want us to lose the art, but I want us to be able to make good use of the science. And so pedigree, genetic, and actual COI is a very, very useful tool in our breeding program as we're going forward. One of the things that makes purebred dogs purebred is a level of inbreeding. That's what makes it purebred. Having a higher or lower level and how you use that and the healthy genes that you're doubling up on or the unhealthy genes that you're doubling up on make an enormous difference in your breeding program going forward. So I think that's really, really critical to understand. When to breed and why? What is your breed's function? And will you be participating in that function with your dog? Absolutely a great, great topic, Susan. Also, use the resources of older breeders who knew the dogs, and they will also be able to talk about traits that genetic testing and COI does not give you. Susan, those are super, absolutely phenomenal insights and ones that I think people should heed. Okay. So, like I said, this is an art and a science. And part of the art is finding your mentors and being able and willing to talk to a lot of different people, not just the same people all the time. Not everybody has all the answers. I don't have all the answers. I think there are people that are smarter than me and there are people that, you know, could use some more talking to people. But the important part is that the more input you get, the more information you have to work with, the better able you are to create an answer that is your own and that is specific to your breeding program. So if you have a breed that had a historic purpose, for example, herding or hunting or whatever it might have been, companionship, many of our breeds were companions. And so knowing what those are and participating with our dogs when we're able at some level in those historical functions is super important in terms of maintaining breed type. And if a golden retriever doesn't retrieve, just saying that's part of breed type. And it doesn't matter how pretty they are if they don't fulfill the basic function for which they were originally designed and for which most buyers will be seeking that skill set. So it's definitely something to keep in the back of your head. Okay, back to where we're going about pedigrees. You can see all kinds of different pedigrees. You've got the pedigree programs. You've got photo pedigrees. My mom used to handwrite all of her pedigrees. I wish I could screen share and show you the photos of my mom's handwritten pedigrees. It just breaks my heart to this day. And then when we're talking about breeding dogs, we have to think about the process that we intend to follow. And it's ideal if you can create a plan. And is your plan to do consistent inbreeding 
Maybe that's not such a great idea. Consistent line breeding, that's probably pretty safe. Consistent outcrossing is really safe from a certain perspective in terms of health. You're not as liable to double up on a particular recessive. But at the same time, I can tell you from personal experience, every single time I go out to get one thing, I get three things I did not want. So balancing those three breeding theories is absolutely critical to your mission in your breeding program and knowing what you will consider and what you won't and how you plan to get where you're going when you start is going to be really important. And so this is a place where we can talk about the concept. Okay, so Beardies and Bullies, what are the concept behind the line breeding, inbreeding, and outcrossing? Great question. Just about to get to that, so totally are ahead of me. So we're going to start with that. Let's start with inbreeding, okay? So the most extreme on one side. Inbreeding is generally by most geneticists considered to be father-daughter, mother-son, brother-sister, half-brother, half-sister also. After that, you know, there can be arguments. Is it then line breeding or inbreeding? I personally have had great success on many of the great breeding theories. If you read about Lloyd's Bracket and if you read Pat Trotter's Born to Win book and all of these sorts of things, the tail female and the tail male line and all of that concept, you're generally talking about line breeding. And so an uncle niece, so I have Henry and Sale are litter mates. Sale is bred to Topper, which is a complete outcross. And I take one of those puppies and breed it back to Henry that was Sale's brother. That's an uncle niece breeding. Happened to be one of my most successful dogs. So that's the basic concept of line breeding. And line breeding can be tight like that, or it can be very, very loose, where many of the dogs that I've used in outcrosses track back within three to five generations to a particular stud dog in my breed, in German Wirehair Pointers. That was a dog called Cascade Rogue. He was a dual champion. He was a national field champion. He was a master hunter. He was a UT. He was all of these things. He was also, and remains to this day, and he's been dead for 20 years, on the list of top producing sires of all time on show, hunt test, and field trial lists. So that was a particular goal of mine. So this is what I'm saying. You can take that and build a breeding program from that. I want to find progeny that come down from Cade and have these other characteristics. Okay. And then outcrossing is like what I did just recently. I have a young stud dog. He's from a very loose line breeding and I wanted to test him to test a theory of how he would do as a sire. I bred him in an inbreeding half brother, half sister, and I bred him in an outcross to a bitch that was, oh, that you couldn't find two similar dogs, two same dogs, two related dogs in the entire pedigree going back to the founders. Okay. That's a real outcross. And so most successful breeders will use some combination of all three of these 
as they're moving towards a specific goal. So the most important thing is to have a goal. Do not just say, I want pretty ribbons. That's not your goal. Your goal is, I want to make a Peruvian frog hound that has phenomenal ears, beautiful front, level back, perfect tail set, still hunts frogs, and has no health problems. Okay? Making things up. That's your goal. And then how you achieve that goal depends on what you start with. What does your foundation bitch look like? Does she have those three, four things? Or does she only have two or one or however many? So which sires am I going to bring in? Which sides of her pedigree are strong for which of these features? And this is where Susan's advice is critical. You as a new person will not be able to see all of the dogs that are in your pedigree. It's the beautiful thing about purebred dogs. This is history. This is art. This is time immemorial. You can't know all these dogs. But if you talk to the people that came before you, they saw these dogs and they can tell you. And if you can talk to more than one person that saw the same dog and get two different opinions, oh my God, what kind of heaven is that, right? And so that's what we're trying to build on. We're trying to build on this concept of, I have a goal. I have a stated goal. I have written it down. I have cemented it in my brain. And I have had a very careful evaluation of the bitch that I'm working with, my foundation bitch. I know what I want to improve upon in her. Pick a thing. I know what I will not give on, what I will give on, and what is not a concern. Those are the kinds of questions that need to be addressed as you are getting started, deciding if and when to breed your dog, male or female. We've had a lot of conversations. I was just recently talking to one of my mentees who's taking my breeding program and moving forward with it. Somebody had contacted her about a stud dog that they were interested in using one of our stud dogs and they had this particular bitch and they sent the pedigree and they sent the health testing. And as we spoke about this, my mentee and I, and looked at the particular dog, the dog herself was not a particularly great example of the breed. She's a nice hunting dog, but she doesn't meet the breed standard particularly well. Her pedigree is average to maybe slightly below average. And she herself has no titles. She has not proven herself in a titling situation. And one of the reasons we have titles, whether it's in the field or in the show ring, is that I can say my dog is the most beautiful thing that ever walked and never missed a bird and points on two legs. But until six other people say that, it kind of doesn't matter what I say. I love my dog. I think it's great. So that's the point of titles. And then the final straw was this particular female's health testing was average at best. And so you pull all these things together and you say, am I going to breed my dog to that female? Am I going to breed my female who has these, these, and these things? Uh, no. So those are the kinds of yes and no decisions that you're going to start making as you start thinking about starting a breeding program. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you. To make sense out of everyday things. To add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box. To bring history to life and propel the living history 
of purebred dogs into the future. Pure Dog Talk patrons support the work we do here by contributing to our crowdsourcing campaign. In return for the generosity that keeps the MP3s rolling, patrons get direct access, rare opportunities, and tons of perks. And I tell you what, 23 is looking to be a busy year. We have three patrons retreats. Okay, so this is the direct access and tons of perks. Three patrons retreats planned throughout the year. These festive get-togethers combine learning, good food, new friends, and a dog show, right? I'll be there leading handling courses, breeding courses, and some thought-provoking conversations along the way. Join our patrons now so you can be part of the best community in dogs. Visit www.puredogtalk.com backslash patron for details. Okay, welcome, Matt Stelter. Great to have you here. It is the master breeder that knows just which tool to pull out of the tool chest in Breed, Line, Breed, Outcross at each crossroads to move their program forward, and then selection is critical. Hey, now, Matt, that is an absolutely fabulous point that I'm about to get to, but thank you for bringing it up now because that is absolutely mission critical. So I did this breeding because I wanted better upper arm return. Okay. But the dog in the litter that has the best upper arm return has the ugliest head. And I just have a thing about heads and I couldn't possibly have an ugly head. And yet I did the entire breeding to get this one puppy that has this upper arm return that I was looking for. And why am I not keeping it? Because I'm stuck on whatever other thing. So selection, if you guys go back and listen to the podcast that I did with Cordmaker Pooley's unbelievable, absolutely imperative listening in terms of building a breeding program, keyword search it on the website. They're incredible. Susan, phenotype to phenotype versus genotype to genotype. Ooh, great question. Super deep. Having done the most amazing breeding on paper, Remember that what you see in the litter box may or may not produce what you expected. Oh, Helen, that's the truth. Uh, <laughs> so this is a really interesting sort of deep dive on this concept. And most of us, I would say, breed on genotype. So for those of you who are not keeping up with a lingo here, I know that we get a little in the weeds sometimes. Genotype is the pedigree. That's what talks about the actual genetic involvement in each individual dog. Phenotype is what does the dog look like. And so I may have on pedigree King Zeus from King Zeus from King Zeus from King Zeus, and that dog might look like Prince Toad. And so that's an important thing to keep in mind. When you make breeding decisions, whether you breed on a pedigree or whether you breed on dogs that look alike, no matter what their genetics are, no matter what pedigree is behind them, is, in my opinion, sort of a personal decision. I personally am a genotype freak. I am a pedigree guru. I love it. I research it. I live and die by it. And yet I know there are lots and lots and lots and lots of people out there who breed on phenotype. I want a dog that looks like this. And this is what my dog looks like. I think this is what the breed looks like. I want another dog that looks just like this. My opinion of the shortfalling in that 
is that if you have a phenotype, a picture that you like in your mind, there are instances in which that picture in your mind has shortcomings. And if that's the only picture you ever have in your mind, all you're going to do is make more of those same shortcomings. So if you want to see a wire hair pointer that's got a super exaggerated top line and super upright and super almost terrier-esque in appearance, and you're just going to keep reading to that picture, that silhouette, pretty soon you're going to have a one-dimensional dog. And I see this a lot, like a lot, a lot. And so that's why I am such a fan of genotype and breeding on pedigrees, breeding on paper. And no matter whether you breed by genotype or phenotype, it doesn't matter. What you get may not match what you expected. (laughs) Welcome to being a dog breeder. It's so cool. So that I think is so important to keep in mind as we decide again, am I going to breed my dog? Should I breed my dog? Should I breed my dog? Should I breed my bitch? Whatever. Understand that master breeders, as Matt was mentioning, we all make plans. We all have things that we've been planning for 5, 10, 20 years that when it lands on the ground, you're like, that didn't work. (laughs) And welcome to mother nature. And that's sort of part of the deal with being a dog breeder. I can give you a perfect example. I had way back in the day, a very fabulous dog that I love very much that for a variety of reasons, I had one breeding on one frozen semen breeding on the dog been dead for years. And it was a particular pedigree piece that I really desperately wanted to bring forward because I like so many things about it. And I had waited and waited and waited and waited and waited all those 20 years to find just the right pitch that I was sure that I was going to get what I wanted from this particular combination of this particular dog that I had been paying for the frozen semen for 20 years. For real. I was just like, and so I finally had this female fabulous bitch. She was winner's bitch at the national. She was dual futurity a winner. So she won both the show and the field futurity. Like I was really excited about this bitch. I thought she had great potential. She'd had two phenomenal litters, bred life cover. Like great, great. This is going to be awesome. And so I thought out the one and only breeding to this dog in the universe. And I spend billions of dollars to have it shipped to my vet, to have it surgically inseminated in my dog. And she has one puppy. So we can talk about the joys of dog breeding. So my frozen semen surgical implant single 10 C-section puppy, who absolutely is 110% not what I wanted. He's neutered and he lives in my backyard. Welcome to it, people. And I've been doing this for a really long time. Yes. And Susan, you are right. That's what I was mentioning earlier. Each puppy is its own genetic miracle or lack thereof. So when you have one, it's a little depressing, (laughs) particularly when it's not the genetic miracle you were hoping for. Hi, Bethany. Oh my gosh. All the way from Australia. So excited to see you. I'm so glad you guys are able to join us. Had your old boy tested. The vet said his sperm was not quite good enough to freeze due to his age. He thinks we would have had a good chance with life cover any way to increase the sperm quality. Oh my goodness. This is a great, great question. Bethany. So go back on the website. You're going to need to do a keyword search on the pure dog talk website. And I did a series of four interviews with the people at a particular frozen semen company. 
And they talk a lot about that. There are some things, greenlit muscles. I can't remember all of them off the top of my head. But if you go back and do a keyword search for a stud dog, you're going to find a variety of different topics. And they were going to give you some of that information. And oftentimes, yes, live cover is going to do a lot better. Here's another little known, <laughs> little known topic, except to me. Not every dog freezes. And ask me how I know. <laughs> some dogs simply do not extend. Their semen does not jive with the extender in either fresh chilled or frozen. And I have lost out on a number of tragically really great stud dogs over the years because they had semen that did not extend. So my best advice, Marty Greer's best advice, everybody from every semen bank I can talk to, freeze them young, freeze them early. I don't care if they've had their health testing, collect them at like 18 months old, if their health tests are crap, dump it. It doesn't matter. Do the collection and have it available. Because if you try to collect that fabulous dog when they're 10 years old and somebody wants to breed to them 10 years later, you're not going to have it. So vitamin E and increased protein, yes. Bethany, I honestly, without going back and listening, I'm just going to say go find those episodes. I know green lip muscle is one that they use and recommend from a number of the sites here. So you can get more information on those previous podcasts. Yes, Perna Muscle. There you go, Susan. Some interesting studies on cold-pressed wheat germ oil. Interesting. That's a good one. Yes, Matt, they really do struggle with extender. Trust me, I've had four really important stud dogs, sadly, all in the same line, all dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, and none of them extended, none of them froze, none of them could be fresh-chilled. I had one particular dog that was so tragic. Every time you put his swimmers in an extender, they just kind of rolled over and died. And so the woman that desperately wanted to breed to him drove from Michigan to North Dakota. And the woman who owned him drove from Seattle to North Dakota. And they met and their dogs had sex on a Motel 6 bed. And they went their separate ways. So I'm just saying the tragicness is real. And, you know, Marty Greer makes some good points in some of the episodes I've done with her recently that we as dog breeders have got to pay attention to this because it's genetic. And when I say I had four dogs that didn't extend that were all related, I'm talking father, son, grandson, half brother, like for real. So it is absolutely mission critical that we pay attention to that stuff and really try to make great choices about the dogs that we use in our breeding programs. And that is a consideration. Free whelping. Will the semen freeze? Are they a natural whelper? Are they a natural breeder? You know, all of those things. Too often as breeders, we get wrapped up in, put it as a best in show. It was ranked number one. It's really beautiful. What? It can't get puppies out of it. Susan, it, dude. <laughs> like... So that's something to consider. And I think it's absolutely important that we consider it. And I have built in, I've spent the last 10 years developing an entire second bitch line because I didn't like how my bitches whelped. And I had strictures and I had whatever weirdness and all this. And so I spent all this time adding a second bitch line so that I could add bitches that would free whelp. And so these kinds of discussions and considerations are absolutely imperative as you go forward and think about your breeding program. Here's one. This is super important. Listen up, kids. Health testing, healthy dogs, right? Before we do 
health and temperament, health and temperament, health and temperament. I don't care how many damn best in shows your dog has. If it bites me and has seizures, I'm not breeding to it. Pausing to let that sink in. Health and temperament. If you don't want to live with it, nobody else does. If it's going to die early, why? I don't care how pretty it is. Pay attention. Health and temperament are the single most important decisions that you will make. Because 50%, 90%, however many percent of your puppies aren't going to go be best in show dogs. They're going to go live on somebody's couch. And they need to be healthy and they need to be temperamentally sound. And yes, temperament is genetic. There's podcasts for that too. So when you're researching a new stud dog or in my case, bringing a bitch line in or whatever it is, OFA has an amazing tool called a vertical pedigree. And you can go to the OFA website. You can pick whatever it is. I'll just use thyroid in wire hair pointers as my big bugaboo. And you can go to the page of the dog that you're considering on the OFA website. And then you go to the top and you look at all the tests that are available and you pick thyroid because that's the one you're all jacked up about. And then you go to the top of that page and there's going to be an orange rectangle that says vertical pedigree. And you pull that up and it is going to show you the dog that you're considering, what his result was, what his siblings were, what his offspring were. And it will do that for three generations on that one page and it will continue back. And anybody who listened to the interview I did with Jimmy Moses, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was absolutely genius talking about hips and German Shepherd dogs and what have you, and that he would rather breed to a mild or a moderately dysplastic dog from a family of dogs, not just a sire and dam, a family. The breadth of the pedigree was good or excellent than he would to breed to an excellent dog that the breadth of the pedigree was all fair and dysplastic. That is so important. And it is absolutely critical to use the tools that we have at our fingertips today that we didn't used to have. Use them. They're there for this purpose. Okay. The vertical pedigree system at OFA's website is one of the greatest gifts to dog breeders that exist today. For those of you who have not really spent any time on the Pure Dog Tech website, understand that there's 530 some odd episodes and only 200 and some of those are available to you on iTunes or any of your RSS feeds. The rest of them are only available on archive on the website. I am in process. So this is like breaking news. I am in process of putting together what I will be calling albums. There will be albums of everything you need to know about whelping your first litter, whatever it is, right? Pulling together curated content minus advertising that you'll be able to buy for a nominal fee. And so that is something that I would love for you guys to weigh in on. If you have a thought as to if I could purchase an album of material on puppy raising or dog handling or you name a topic, there's literally going to be a couple hours worth of material for you. How much would you pay for that? So that's my thing to you. Drop me a PM, drop me a note here, drop me a note on the Facebook page because these albums are forthcoming in the next month or so. So keep an eye out on the Facebook page. I'll announce them there on the website. I'll announce them there. Very, very excited about 
that. Kid Carnage and Susan Patterson are now besties in Quebec. Love it. What a way to connect. This is what Pure Dog Talk is about. We are here to make your life better. And that's my entire raison d'etre. Just for you in Quebec, Susan. (laughs) Thank you all for joining us. If you have not yet had the opportunity, please do stop by all of our sponsors' pages. Give them a shout out. Say, hey, we love Pure Dog Talk. We love that. Join us on the Facebook page. If you can, join us for the retreat and workshops in Northwest Illinois in the first week of June. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us on Pure Dog Talk. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.